Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I just thank you that you are here with us. I thank you that you are moving in our hearts, and I pray that you would really do that now, Father. Um, I don't have any wisdom of myself to be shared. Father, we need wisdom from you, just as I, I feel that you have led me to speak on some things. I pray that it would be all about you and not about me. I pray that each person would hear and listen for themselves, Father, that you would be pricking hearts. Um, help us continue to be conformed more to your image as you continue to refine us, sanctify us, Lord. Um, you gave us an example and you made us your children and children are to grow to be like their parents. We want to grow to be like you just as you want for us, Lord. And um, please just be speaking this morning. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Mark 5. Uh, my name is Tim McKibben. I could have started out with that. That would have been great. I am a servant here at Refuge Fellowship and um, uh, happy to be talking this morning. It, uh, not something I do a lot. So I want to mention the songs this morning. Jacob, thank you so much. If I'd picked the songs, I'm terrible at picking songs, but if I had, like, those were great songs. Um, and frankly, this is off my topic, so two-minute Devo before I really start. Um, that song, um, This Is How I Fight My Battles, I was once singing that at a prayer night um, several years ago, and and I found myself say, "Well, not me. That's wussy," and I pushed it away right away. <laughs> Wait, what? That was act. That was actually a a little thought in my heart that no, 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 no. I fight like a man. I'm like no. <laughs> Only if you want to get wiped out like a bug. And and as I recognized that and took that to the Lord and and remembered that uh just just picture um oh who was it? Um not Isaiah. Anyways, I'm drawing a blank. One of the prophets. He is standing there and he's surrounded, and his servant is freaking out. This is Elisha. Finally came back to me now. I'm not trying to think about it. His servant's freaking out because the enemy armies come, and um, and Elisha's all cool with this, and and so in order to reassure his servant, he he tells he prays that God would open the eyes of his servant, and he does, and the servant sees um, angels surrounding between them and the attacking uh, force. And we're not talking like our cute little cherub pictures and stuff like that. We're talking Roman soldiers who have fainted at the sight of a single angel. And uh, so anyways, as I start thinking, this is how I fight my battles. I come before the Lord. I lay myself out before him. I surrender to him. I ask for his help. And I see that I am surrounded. Um, so anyways, I just I felt like I had to share that. It was going to interrupt me the whole time if I didn't. So, okay, Mark chapter 5. Who did Jesus come for? Let me go ahead and read through here. We're going uh, chapter 5, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. Um, now, you remember, t uh, Susan actually taught um, several months ago about the trip across 
the sea, the Sea of Galilee, right? It's only about five mile trip. And we're talking four of these guys lived on this thing. They used to, they were fishermen. That's just where they were all the time on a boat. So little things didn't scare them. This was something to terrify them. And they went to Jesus who was sleeping through it, right? And Jesus chastised them for not having faith and tells the storm. I mean, almost like, uh, can you be quiet? I'm trying to talk right now. You know, peace be still. Guys, why didn't you have faith? So this is this is the setup before we, we come here. Then they land on uh, the edge of this um, area. And I'll come back to that. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouted with a loud voice. He said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God not to torment me. We're going to come back to that because that's an interesting thing. For he, had been, for he had been saying to them, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby in the mountain. The demon implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and, um, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it uh, was that had happened. They had came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon uh, We're going to change that and say demonized. We're actually not going to talk much about demons today, guys. Um, though you know the story by now, many of you. It's all about the demons and the swine. It's the swine story, right? And we're, we're hardly going to talk about that. Um, and there's, there's two things here. Why? Before I keep reading. Um, one, Tad's talked about demons quite a bit lately. There was a Sunday sermon uh, maybe two weeks ago and a week ago yesterday um, he did in seminar. And those are both online and you can find those. And uh, I will not have productive things to add. But more importantly than that, not what the Spirit pointed me to, the, the, what to, to teach out of this. But uh, demonized, we're going to demon possessed gives you some wrong direction and what's really going on. There, there's some differences in the word, what the word used to mean. I'll just say that much. Tad explains that much better in, in those other talks. So I will try to catch myself as we go. Uh, those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demonized man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demonized was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. 
and everyone was amazed. So it's easy to, to focus on the, the big things, uh, the flashy things that catch our eyes, right? And there's definitely things to be learned in the story of the demons and the pigs, uh, what's going on with them. But as if you caught the title, I wanted to know, why did Jesus come here in the first place? What was he doing? Also, so much so, why was this added into Scripture? Was it we needed to know about the whole swine situation? Someone once told me, I, I, it was a long, long time ago, so I don't know how he worded it, but that basically everything that happened from God is in the Bible. And that is so incredibly wrong. Let's debunk that just as it refers to Jesus. If we go to John, here's me a flash screen here. Uh, John 21, uh, chapter 21, the very last verse in John, uh, verse 25. And there were also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that it would be written. So there was so much that Jesus did that, that, that wasn't recorded. And, and so when we're telling him a story about what happens, we need to add just the details that get to what we're trying to teach, right? See, the Bible's not an exact account of everything that happened. It is just the pieces that are, that are needed to benefit us um, as God inspired. So back to my question, what's Jesus about in this whole thing? Now, that, that's, that's going to be our overall question. I want to start back in Mark 5.1. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. I want to touch on a different subject again, but we're going to come back to really about Jesus. Um, but about this idea when we're telling a story, what, what's the Bible doing? Why is this piece here? You know, we have the Synoptic Gospels, so we actually have this story in Matthew, Mark, and um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each tell the story a little bit different. Um, there's some really neat pieces in the end of this that Matthew doesn't mention, and Matthew tends to be more detailed. Um, furthermore, Matthew adds a detail. But first, it's interesting. You're going to hear different things. Um, the country of the Gerasenes. Let's look at, at Luke. We also see the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Uh, there's a note here. I actually turned off some of my tags so that they didn't all pop up on the screen. Um, it says some manuscripts said the Gadarenes and some the Gergesenes. And if we jump to Matthew's version in 828, he calls them the Gadarenes. Now, I'm the kind of person, I'm a very exact person. I like numbers. You know, when you put two, it means two when it's here, 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 and the, the Roman numerals of two still means two objects. And so things like this bug me, and which I guess is why I think God put it on my heart to talk about, because it's something I've had to wrestle with. Why the inaccuracy, right? Well, you know, uh, maybe it's a good time for confession. Um, I moved here almost exactly three years ago. And I've talked to people about where I moved from. Some of you I told Colorado. Others, I told you Denver. And I'm going to stop right now and tell you that's absolutely not true. Others, I told you Aurora. And Kevin, if he's here, I told him 
Mississippian chambers. Why? Have you ever heard someone tell a story? I, I, I lived with a guy. I'm coming back, by the way. These are all attached. I lived with a guy, and um, he starts telling a story, and this was just a normal thing. He's like, I went to talk to the neighbor across the street, and I went down the driveway. Well, I, I went into the road, well, halfway into the road, but, and then, you know, well, most of the way into the road, it was like he told the guy hi, and we went five minutes of how far into the road he went, okay? Right? Doesn't that sometimes, like, like drives you nuts? Like, oh, because we, we, we store up this detail. I'm like, okay, where did the road come into this? You, hi? What? So when I talked to most of you, if I said, oh, yeah, I live right on Chambers in Mississippi, that would mean nothing to you. Like, okay. Is that the United States? But see, Kevin ended up, uh, turned out that he lived a mile away from me when he was younger, not the same time. And so when I started talking about where he lived, he started asking more questions. And we got down to the details of right here, right? Now, others of you um, kind of know where Colorado is, maybe sort of on a map, I assume, you know, just like other states for me. I'm like, yeah, I'm I can't, uh, that's West, right? And, and therefore, me saying Aurora wouldn't mean anything. I did move from Aurora. Well, Aurora is a part of this conglomerate of a big metropolis city of Denver, but Denver is less than a tenth of what we think of when we say Denver. And so, someone else who's lived around about Aurora means something a lot more specific to them, right? So, was I lying? No, I was adding enough detail for the story. I didn't need to say, and by the way, if you want to drive there, turn off I-70 on 225 headed, right? Just, just to say I moved three years ago. So that's what's going on here. Remember, it says the country of the Gadarenes. Um, later, we're going to hear the Decapolis. So he's he's adding an area. Um, he, in other places, talk about the people of, right? I might talk about a, a group of people in the Denver area in a, a town called Boulder, and there's sort of a specific um, feel to them. And, and I might talk about something and, and use them as a, a reference point. So there's those kinds of things going on here. Plus, just like I said something different to different audiences, each of these authors was speaking to a different audience who might know more or less. So as we come across these things that bother us, um, don't assume the worst. Assume that different details are being show, uh, shared with you. Because I'm going to point out another one. Right here, Matthew, when he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two men were demonized, met him as they were coming out of the tombs. Not, nowhere in the rest of the three stories do we hear about a second guy. So Matthew's clearly lying, right? No, it means there really were two. Let me tell you another wrong thing about my story. I told you I moved three years ago. Guys, I confess, my family moved with me. See? <laughs> um, okay, so Matthew felt the need to point out there was two for whatever reason. Maybe he was just being overly exact, mentioned how far into the road for a minute there. Or, or maybe someone else uh, knew a piece that it meant something to them. But then after that, it seems that the second guy is just left out of the story, and that's okay. All right? He also didn't mention who got out of the boat first. Uh, did someone, you know, need to go do business behind the bush while Jesus was, you know, 
We, we cut details out. Okay, let's get back to Mark. So they, they meet this guy at the tombs. Um, and, and I want to paint a picture of what this guy, what things look like for him, right? So he's living in the tombs. I, I got a picture that says it was um, uh, modern Syrian tombs. I think it was saying old tombs from what is modern Syria. Who knows? This could be rich tombs, and they could have had very poor tombs there, but it kind of sets a picture in your mind. Uh, lives in the tombs. He is crying out day and night. Um, verse 5, constantly, night and day, screaming. He's got these voices. In a minute, we, remember we read when Jesus says, asked, what is your name to the demons? He says, legions, we're many voices just tormenting him day and night so much that he's screaming out and harming himself because he's just destroyed inside there there's further things going on somehow he's got strength beyond a human he's breaking chains and we could stop from and go well but what were the chains really like were those super thin chains well clearly they thought it was a big deal and, and surprised that chains couldn't hear hold him the shackles that would be the metal band. So think of we have handcuffs, right? The metal band that the chain's attached to, even those he's ripping off. And then living in tombs, naked. This does not sound like a pleasant life. So we see the um, we see him come and kneel before Jesus. Do you think that's the influence of the demons? Maybe in a way, yes, but it's certainly not their desire. The, 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 the demons are, are those who have been cast out of heaven because they rebelled against God. They don't want to acknowledge him as God. And yet here they are bowing down and saying, Son of the Most High. And then, here, here's a place I want to really camp on. It was interesting to me that I kept seeing people implore Jesus. And so I looked up the word implore, um, and there's a Greek word that's about an inch and a half long, and it meant nothing to me. But translation says it can be ask or beseech, it can be exhort, or it can be comfort, which that sounds like a very different use. I don't think any of these are comforting. So it seems that implore is a good translation. And in the end, um, this actually the first one is a slightly different word. It's someone you would match with um, imploring by someone else's name um, because demons call on the name of God to speak to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He says that the demons say, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God. So on one hand, we could take this and go, look, here's another proof of Jesus' divinity. And I go, let's, let's take it more like as a as a indication. I, I'm, a, I'm afraid to take proof from a demon. Um, but, uh, but in this case, they're right. He is the son of the most high God. And then I implore you by God not to torment me. What? 
right does a demon have to call in the name of God to speak to Jesus, the Son of God, that he just confessed? Well, here's where maybe Matthew clears things for us just a little bit. Um, oops, I'm not sure if I marked the exact spot. Um, yeah, 29, because Matthew Matthew's really brief on this. And they cried out saying, the demons, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Right, same thing, a little bit more brief. Have you come to torment us before the time? So it seems the demons have some knowledge of a time when they will be removed from the world, right? They say before, before torment. Uh, I think that is a version of torment to them. So now I think we see a little better picture of why they get to claim something from God. They have some reference from God the Father that there is a time and this is not the time. So I think there's a reference of, we know this is not the time and that's what the Father said. So what are you doing now? But by that time that he said, please leave us alone. So they implore him. There's three times, three groups I see imploring Jesus. Now, one group is only one person. Um, but this first time, the demons implore him three times. Leave us alone. And then they begin to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. That's an interesting thing, too. They want to stay. And now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby in the mountains, and the demons implored him third time saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. So it's going to be interesting as we go through each one of these, how Jesus responds to each. He actually gives the demons what they asked for, what they implored him for. He acknowledged, of course, that the Father said this is not the time. Um, that wasn't going to be an issue in the first place. And he gave them this boon, shall we say, of letting them go into a swine. It's the only time I know of that we see anything besides just out. But I'm actually going to pass them right on by from there. So how do, how do as our next group, um, people see what's going on. And in 14 here, the herdsmen run away and report it in the city and in the country. When do they run away? When they see this man set free and the power from on high is unleashed and a human being is restored. No. When the pigs die. Which, maybe that's fear, maybe that shows their where their eyes are, where their importance is. Um, I don't know if you've all had bacon, but bacon's good. I also asked myself, why did Jesus, why did Jesus let the pigs be destroyed? This, these, this is someone's livelihood. And there's lots of ideas, lots of thoughts. Uh, one that I'll share that I think is wrong, that I was taught, I think even in a sermon kind of thing, was, wow, um, pork is unclean to the Jews, and therefore he was helping them clean things up. Well, here's where uh, paying attention to the geography. Some, sometimes the, the geography passes me by, sometimes names do too, and I just recognize that, okay, and Jesus went across the sea to another, another city. And so I'm with this guy thinking, oh, yeah, the Jews, good point. 
But when you pay attention to the geography, oh, actually, I brought a map. We're a little short on time. So maybe I should hurry. Forget these lines for right now. But he's coming from Capernaum, if I remember correctly, and going over here. Maybe it's, um, Greg guess, uh, maybe it's a little further uh, south. Uh, again, story didn't matter exactly where, except that we know that this is not the land of practicing Jews. Um, and so that is probably not what was going on there. Now, we don't really know why for sure. We can guess all kinds of things. Um, one of the things, though, that, that I guess bothered me early on in hearing the story is it's like Jesus destroyed someone's livelihood. You know, these poor families are going to go hungry. And I realized 2,000 pigs is a lot. You know, unless this is a co-op and one family had their two pigs and the poor family had one and, you know, family doing pretty good, had six of them in there. Probably not what's going on here. No indication of that. This is a rich man's herd, probably part of his holdings. Now I'm going a little bit further, far in these assumptions, right? We don't want to base too much on that. But this isn't stealing from the mouth of the hungry. So why? We don't really know. Um, I'm actually going to touch back on that a little bit later. Um, but it's we can be quick to assume negative about Jesus instead of going, what do we know about Jesus? We, we, we know his heart. We, we can see his heart. And so let's start with assuming he meant good for everyone. But swine come back up. Okay. So... The herdsmen have gone and called everybody, said country and city. So, I mean, he did some running. He did a lot of shouting and calling. Maybe he was afraid, right? There is this boat of 13 people that just landed and they wiped out 2,000 pigs, which might be a good way to tell a story because you're the one responsible for the pigs. So you want to make sure that everyone knows it wasn't your fault. There was 13 of them and they're pig wiper outers. Um. And crazy people, they didn't even cook them and eat them. Maybe it's that, you know, but but everybody comes. And then how do they respond? Again, did they come and respond and go, wow, this man was set free? Well, in a way they do. Uh, I went too far, didn't I? All those who had seen it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they began to implore him. No, sorry. I got back up a little bit. Here we go. And they came to Jesus. This is all the people that have been gathered. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon, uh, whoop, demonized, uh, sitting down, clothed, remember he was running around naked before, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. So first, it was really the story of the, the pigs that got him worked up, and now they're frightened that this man can have such power to speak over over this tormented man, this this evil Superman, right? The, the guy who can break chains. I, I, they had been terrified to ever go even in the region of this guy, yelling all the time, violent even to himself. But they look at Jesus, the one who can overcome that. But not it's not like he killed this guy. Here he is healed and at his feet, and now they're frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the 
to the demonized man and all about the swine. And they began to love him, hope for him, desire him. No, implore him to leave their region. Wow, what a response. And just like the demons, he gave them what they wanted. He said he was getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed, we're about to get our third time, was imploring him that he might accompany him. So here's one who, we could say he's got the same, same report as everybody else, but for him, he's got freedom. He's been set free. And he's saying, let me go with you. I want to be with you. I will do anything for you. I want to serve you. You are, you know. Um, yes, thank you, thank you, was, was his heart. But Jesus doesn't give him what he asked for. He says, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. So to him, he actually didn't, right? Like the, the, the one that seems most likely for, for Jesus to have given what he wanted, he's the one that's turned and said, I do want you. But Jesus gives him a mission. He gives him a purpose. Now, I'm definitely making some guesses here, maybe an easier life than the 12 following Jesus. He sends him out, and it says that this man responded. We never get his name. He went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis. Okay, so Decapolis is kind of like when I said Colorado, right? Decapolis was the big area. It's actually not its own country or anything, but it's a loose way of referring to a, a region. Um, Roman ruled, uh, very followed the Roman way of life and that kind of thing. And he went to proclaim to them. And everyone was amazed. So he didn't just go home and everything's good. Well, maybe home would have been weird. He could have just gone to another city and settled in as, as just another guy. But he took on this mission and he went and told everyone. And, and we could wonder what happens then. And um, fortunately, my wife pointed out to me that we hear about the Decapolis again from Jesus. And so, okay, what, what result did we have of this? Uh, just two chapters later, Mark 7.31, Jesus has gone on a little trip here, and that's actually where the lines come from this other map. He had gone to Tyre and Sidon, big loop. We hear, we hear the um, Seraphonician woman, uh, I believe that was Tyre, if not, it was Sidon, and loops back down and comes back to this area of the Gergesenes. And so again, he went from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. This is uh, Mark 731. Uh, within the region of Decapolis, they brought to him. Uh, so I I'm skipping here pretty quick. Actually, let's just skip straight down. I just want to say that's where he's at. Uh, they, they bring someone to be healed, and then he feeds 4,000. Why? I'm not talking about the, the miracle. is not even my point. 
why were 4,000 people willing to spend three days? He's fed them because he says, they've been here with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. Um, I've not gone to go and hear someone and sat there for three days having, now we don't know if they didn't have anything in the beginning, but by the end, Jesus is worried about them being able to get home because they're so hungry, right? They were so hungry to hear God, to hear Jesus, that they would do this. So what was the result of this man going out and proclaiming what God had done, what Jesus had done for him throughout the Decapolis? I have to think much like John the Baptist was for Jesus in the more Jewish area, uh, this man was in uh, in the Decapolis and invited people, and now they have a hunger, and what what is this? What power, what teaching would actually have set this man free and, and given him the testimony that he has? Once again, testimonies are powerful. Okay, backing up again. One of the things that I disagreed with is if you're going to cast out demons, destroy them. Why send them out to go and cause more trouble? And so Jesus, you know, you, you know what? I was just about to tell Jesus what to do. And so I have to go, so that's what I would do. And Jesus thought something different. So somebody needs to change. And that's me. So why? I want to destroy them. I want to get rid of them. But Jesus wants to keep them. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say quite like that, but he chooses to, to leave them. And so I wrestled around with this for a bit. And, um, and to the point that I took my time with Tad and said, hey, I've got some crazy theories here. He said, yeah, let's uh, stick to what the Bible says. Thought that would be neat too. Um, but God has a purpose. He uses, he uses people. He uses angels. He uses demons. Um, he says that... He doesn't waste things. Um, he says he, he, he uses even the things meant for bad, he uses for good. And so the demons actually get a role in our redemption. So maybe this is going a little, well, just a short while later, Jesus dies on the cross for us, right? And there'd have been no redemption without Jesus' shed blood. Would men have done that if he had wiped out all the demons, taken all demonic influence off the earth? Maybe, but we know very specifically that um, Judas was demonized. It said the demon came on him just right after he left the, uh, the Last Supper. So just one image of when this happens. And so I think we can then get this worried heart of of is that who God is? He wants us in constant struggle and and fighting with demons. Well, constant struggle, no. He he made paradise for us, is where he meant for us to be. But sometimes we don't come to him unless we feel a need. Right? Josh talked about, you know, so often we pray when we have a test or you know, some kind of struggle coming on. Um, unfortunately, our hearts turned so much that we need a push. We need a test. We need a trial. We need 
that foxhole situation that we're crying out, Lord, save me. And so he uses them. So does he want us to be in trial? Only so much as it forces us to him. Um, because he even has a plan for us in the future where there, that won't be the case. So that's a good reminder from the, the series that Tad was doing about the coffee with Jesus. I, I had to recognize my heart didn't align with what Jesus was doing. So where do I need to change my heart? All right. Wrapping things together, I want to really focus on everybody's response. And back to the question of who did Jesus come for? Did he come for the, the one demonized man? Did he come for both? Did he come for the swine herds? Did he come because he heard there was demons and he's just go out to find all demons, right? That one, we, I think we already think is probably not the case. Did he come for everybody in the town and the countryside who came to talk to him? And my conclusion is this. He came for those who would accept him. And I think I can back that up by, by taking a step further back. Who did Jesus come to the earth for? Who did he die for? He died for those who will accept him. And so it made me want to come zoom back in, but zoom into us instead and go, how are we responding? Are we seeing our deep need and we'll accept his, his lordship, we'll accept his work in our hearts? And we'll give ourselves to him completely saying, take me with you. No, go, go preach to everybody. Okay, I'll do it, Lord. Is that our response? Or how often, I'm going to assume we're not the demon. I'm just going to leave that one out. How often are we the rest, the, the crowd that came and said, I'm worried about what you might take away from me, you know? Are you the owner of the pigs that say, I'd rather have my, my herd, my riches, than have the Son of God? Were you the people in the town? I would rather look good to the rich man. I don't want him seeing me associate with a guy who killed his pigs. I would rather look good to the rich man than to have Jesus. To have the one with the power to set free Or again, back to, I would rather have, I'd rather give up all and have redemption. I would rather work for you. Um, we don't get it straight from the story, but we can extrapolate elsewhere. We know from our own lives, joy and peace comes from surrender. And just like this man, it doesn't say it here, but I have no qualms in saying I know his joy and peace came from serving God. He didn't have the Holy Spirit yet because God hadn't sent him yet, but I, I just have just no doubts to me that that, um, that came to him later. So I just, I'm going to pray here in a minute, and I want each of you to pray and ask, how am I responding now, this could be as a whole. Has Jesus come and will I accept Jesus at all? Or will I, out of fear for what he might want, push away the one who gives life? Others of us have said yes to that. 
Um, but there's other times Jesus comes and like says, I want to help this person in need. Would you do it with me? And we implore him, not now. I have some swine to see to. He says, I have some lost that I want to t- talk to. Would you let me do that through you? Not now, Jesus. That wouldn't look good to the rich guy. Or are we saying, you've been everything in my life. And so everything I have is yours. And I know that everything I do for you will be for my good, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't look good. I know because I can trust you. I know your heart. So as I pray, just pray that you would be, just ask that you would be examining your heart and, and, and asking, how will I respond? Father, I come figuratively on my knees. I know that I have not always been the one to say, take me. I know I've turned to the, the things I don't want to hold on to, and I've sent you away. And I'm so grateful for your persistence. But we have a limited amount of time. We are frail creatures who will be gone in a blink. Stir our hearts and help us see who you really are, that, that giving up all is absolutely worth it for you, Father, that you came with love, you came with sacrifice. And sometimes as you teach us to be your children, it means you teach us to sacrifice because that's who you are. You're one who sacrifices for us, and so sometimes you call us to sacrifice. And as others have said, they they They've given, and yet looking back, they go, I can't call it a sacrifice when you gave me more than I gave up. But Father, our hearts can be so blinded, and when you ask, sometimes it feels like a sacrifice. And I just pray that you'd reveal in our hearts those things that that we hold back, those things that we thought would be more important than sitting at the feet of the Son of God who loved us so much that he came and died for us. And I pray that you would be moving in us and, and convicting us, and then, Father, giving us just the joy of being with you, the joy of working for you, Father. Um, that man who didn't say he went away sorrowful, we saw Jesus turn away others because he revealed the, the lie in their heart when he said, I have no place to lay my head, son of man. And others said, I, I have some other things to do first. We saw them turn away in sorrow, but we don't see that from this man. I, I just fully believe he could go away in joy knowing that, that he has a mission, that he now gets to serve the one who set him free. I can only imagine when Jesus was teaching the 4,000, just him sitting there, not proud of the 4,000 he brought, but just pleased that he could serve the master. And um, Father, give us, give us that, not because you just... Um, not because we just want a feeling, but because we want to work with you. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to be more like you in doing as you do. And Father, that's a prayer for myself just as much as anybody else. And I pray that you continue to change us, Lord. And thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.